Welcome to the TurfNet Renovation Report, sponsored by Golf Preservations, the Green Drainage Specialist. I'm Anthony Piapi, your host, and joining me today is Len Curtin, the golf course superintendent at George Wright Golf Course in Boston. Welcome to the show, Len. Hi, Tony. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. George Wright just underwent a restoration, but this is a, 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 a municipal golf course that receives a lot of play. Um, but but even before that, I want to get into that. This is quite the project uh, when it was built. Opened in 1938, it was estimated to have cost $1 million at the time. A 1,000 men a day were working on it. Uh, there's, fifty-seven, according to the website, 57,000 linear feet of drainage pipe, um, 72,000 cubic yards of dirt, and 60,000 pounds of dynamite were used to excavate the ledge. That is just uh, amazing. And you have some other... Statistics about the stone wall, for instance? Yes, it's, um, it, it really was quite an engineering feat. It was part of the, uh, the Works, Projects, uh, Works Progress Administration, WPA project, in, uh, back during the FDR years um, to get, you know, get people back to work. Um, so, yes, there were, there were like a thousand in a day out there. But... Um, Basically, Tony, what it was was the property was um, so prohibitive to build a golf course. There was so much ledge and granite and pudding stone that um, they had to really had to blast the golf course out of uh, out of rock to build it. So, you know, using a lot of this rock to to do drainage in low areas and such, there was lots of it left uh, left over. So there's a bunch of stonework on the golf course. There's stone walls that are incorporated into tees and stuff. But uh, there was so much of it, they, uh, they built a stone wall that pretty much goes around the entire piece of property. It's, it's, it's about, you know, depending on the, the location of it, it's anywhere from four to five feet high. Oh, no kidding. There's a chain link fence. Yeah, a chain link fence built right into the wall. Um, yeah, that, that is, it's about four and a half miles long. And uh, it was all Irish and Italian masons that built it. It's a phenomenal feat of uh, engineering, and it's still there today. Amazing. Now, this was a this was a Donald Ross course, but construction stopped because of the depression, or the market crash. And then in night right, and then 1932, Walter Irving Johnson, who was one of his Ross's construction superintendents, and had and I guess was it became an engineer for the MDC. Um, he took over the project, or he was the lead guy on the project. That, yes, that's exactly right. Um, from what information and history that we've been able to piece together, it was originally going to be a, a private golf club, a uh, private country club. But the the original uh, finance people had lost their money during the during the crash of '29. Um, the property was left to the city of Boston, a huge piece of property, big chunk of land. And they really didn't know what to do with it, but they had a design. They had a golf course design from Donald Ross um, that came along with the land. And so it just so happened that Walter Irvin Johnson was was building Ponky down the street at the time. And uh, from what I understand, they approached him to uh, take on the project once he was done uh, finishing up his work at Ponkapok. Okay. And so the final total for the for the construction is a million dollars. And you told me in today's day and age, if we were to kind of do the exact same golf course, the exact same way, what, what did you say the total would be about? Well, you know, the, the estimate was done by uh, the Donald Ross Society a few years back and figured it was some, somewhere around $150 million to build it. 
uh, just a, a number that's hard to wrap your head around uh, for a golf course construction project. That's insane. If you see the stonework in the clubhouse, um, you know, uh, you could understand how that could come about and the very fact that it took, uh, you know, seven or eight or nine years, whatever it was, to build. Um, right. Just, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see it, <laughs> see it happen. And it was built to Ross's plans, correct? That's right. Yeah, it really was. And we have, uh, we still have in the archives, we have it, the, his original drawings, and all the drain drawings. Uh, there were some things that he put on the drawings that really didn't get done. A couple of things here and there, a bunker here, a tee there. Um, as they went along, they just didn't they didn't do them. But it's really neat to see where the original drawings for the bunkers were and uh, how they were going to um, you know be shaped and cut into the uh, to the to the to the to the. To the um, the, the bank, the green banks, and such. Uh, really, um, very, very interesting stuff. Right. And, and no, absolutely. And and you're a municipal golf course, and in a day and age where a lot of municipal golf courses are struggling, you are the complete opposite. Yeah, you know, it's funny how that sort of happened. Like the the, the city decided, um, you know, uh, around the time they hired myself and our golf pro Scott Allen, that that they they had, they had done a ton of work at Franklin Park, and George Wright had been neglected for a long, long time, and they wanted to put some money into. And, and I, I just want to I just want to point out that Franklin Park is the other Boston. Municipal golf. Yeah, it's also an, an incredibly historic right. golf course, uh, second oldest muni in the country, right. from right. what I understand. But um, they had done a lot of work at Franklin Park, and they really felt it was time to start investing some uh, some money and some um, some upgrading the golf course. The golf course was in tough shape, and it had been uh, it had been farmed out to a management company that did that, that left it in kind of some disrepair. So um, you know, so there was a. It sort of. I don't really know if there was a a real specific like. Okay, we're going to do this. It was okay. Let's try and hire some people that that know what they're doing. Uh, that are golf people, and we started to improve the course sort of from the inside. You know, from from uh, you know in house, if you will. And then they started to do some capital work and uh, upgrade some tees and some bunkers and put some drainage in and rebuild some some parts of golf holes. Uh, really needed it, um, you know. And we still we're not there yet. I mean, we've we've been picking away at this for ten years or so. How long have you been at the course? Uh, this is my fifteenth year. I started in two thousand and four, so I'm actually working into my fifteenth year at the course. And and so Mark Bungem, the architect Mark Bungem, was brought on board when? Uh, Mark Mark's firm did a long range master plan early on in the early two thousands, and. Um, you know, they they addressed it was to address really safety issues and get car paths sort of straightened out and all that. But as we started doing some of this restoration work, uh, Mark has really um, sort of dug into the trying to trying to keep the original Donald Ross features um, of the course uh, there. You know, particularly when doing bunker work. And uh, you know, we 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 rebuilt basically our entire. So we had to raise it two feet because it was really wet and it had sunk, and um, established a new bunkering and that sort of thing. So Mark's, um, yeah, I mean Mark has done a terrific job uh, in in really uh, identifying the things that we need to do to keep the golf course as original as possible while updating it for you know 2018 golfers. And who's doing the work when when a bunker gets rebuilt or something like that? Is that in house or are you bringing in construction companies? Uh, no, that's that's the million dollar question. I mean, we we have done we do periodically, and we have done 
you know, a bunker here and a bunker there. My staff will redo a bunker when I have the labor to do it. Um, but no, the, the, the capital work that we do on a yearly basis, which is most of the stuff that we do, um, that work has to go out to bid. So um, you're sort of at the mercy of possibly a low bidder. But, um, you know, the good thing is that uh, we've got group of pretty good, really good um, golf course restoration companies that are, you know, within spinning distance of the area that, that frequently will bid on these each year. So it might, it might be one of two or three companies, but we're comfortable with the work that they do and the restoration work that they've done. And they've done a good job of, you know, staying on point, you know. Right. And one of the things I, I want to get into is how busy your golf course is and how do you restore, do this restoration work around the amount of play you have? I mean, did you tell me you're doing 40,000 rounds a year? Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's between 35 and 40. We've been hovering between that number. Uh, this year might be a little lower because we've had so much rain. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if the, the, the counted rounds are somewhere around there, 37, 38, and then you've got to figure that there's – I mean, if I had a dollar for every person that snuck onto that golf course and played it, I could have retired by now. So, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've uh, you know, we're probably uh, we're probably up around we're around forty thousand a year. It's got to be pretty close to that. And and you're having you have an insane you have an insane outing schedule as well, right? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, during the golf season, once once we get to like the first week of May, we're it's not entirely like not every single week, but pretty much almost every week. It's Monday and Fridays, we have an 8 o'clock shotgun. And then Saturdays and Sundays are booked solid from like quarter after 5 in the morning until, you know, 4 in the afternoon. Um, so it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on our staff to get our, you know, our routine maintenance work done uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday during the middle of the week. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, it's it's really tricky just getting your regular regular stuff done. But relating to uh, to construction work, uh, generally speaking, they don't like to disrupt the golf course uh, before October. You know, our, our last outings are usually the first or second week of October. So, um, you know, they don't really mind tearing the golf course up after that. But that becomes problematic because if you have an early winter like we had last year, you know, work grinds to a halt immediately. And I think it was right around Thanksgiving last year that, boom, that was it, you know. So then a project that you you'd like to have done, let's say, in – maybe six or seven weeks now is bleeding into April and May of the following year. Um, and then of course it takes that area, whether it's a tea or a bunker or whatever it is and out of play. Um, you know, so you have possibility of losing revenue and it gets complicated to try to finish a project and then gee, well, you're going to get sawed down before it gets hot out. That, that kind of stuff. We ran into some of that this, this spring. Um, with a project that didn't finish up and it was really a weather related issue, you know, just, uh, got too cold too quick and then the ground freezes and then you, you really can't push dirt around at that point. Interesting. Okay. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break, uh, for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back. From green drainage to sod work, golf preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind that know the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Visit GolfPreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to talk to us directly about your next project. Okay, we're back on the TurfNet Renovation Report with my guest, Len Curtin. He's the golf course superintendent at George Wright Golf Course in Boston. We're talking about this kind of piecemeal restoration to this wonderful Donald Ross course, when you, uh, and it's how you do it when you have a, a municipal golf course. And one of the things I want to get into is 
is who's calling the shots for you? Like, who is your boss within the municipality? So who's deciding which bunkers we're going to do next and that kind of stuff? I mean, by rule, the, the, I answer to the commissioner and the, the finance manager uh, of the parks department is responsible for overseeing the general operations of the golf course. So golf courses. So he would be sort of the de facto general manager. Um, his name is Dennis Roach. And he's been in that position now, I think, for probably uh, maybe eight years or so. Um, so he, in essence, he has sort of the final say on really anything that we do that's, that's finance-related on the course. Um, but we do have a, uh, we have a committee, which includes myself and the superintendent from Franklin Park and the two golf professionals from our two courses and of course, Dennis, and uh, you know, and then we have within the parks department, we have some project managers, and like we'll have a project manager that's assigned to the golf courses. Um, her name is Allison Perlman, and she's uh, she's terrific, uh, wonderful person to work with, and uh, really, um, you know, she came into our organization not really knowing much about golf restoration, but she she's done a lot of work within the parks department, uh, you know, related to restoration work. So. Uh, she really caught up quickly, and uh, so there's this group, and then of course Mark Mungum is involved there too. So um, we we put together myself and Russell put together what we consider prior priorities, um, you know the things that really need to be done sooner rather than later, and uh, and then we have then Dennis will have to try and figure out what we can afford to do, what we can afford to do each course. You know, maybe we put all the money into one golf course for one year because it's a big project. It's going to cost a lot of money. Or maybe we've got some small projects on both courses that we can afford to split up and do the work on. Um, so it's it's really um, it's sort of a committee kind of thing um, where we're all we all have a, a say in it, and uh, and we just try and make the best decision that we possibly can. I mean, the good the good thing is that there's kind of so much work to do with both golf courses and they get so much play. So these areas get beat up that you, this is, we're never at a loss for work. I mean, there's, right. there's plenty of work that's left to do. And, and so the, the, the revenue from the golf courses then goes to the, if you make a profit, the courses make a profit, it goes to the park department, parks department. This isn't, you're not, the golf courses aren't their own separate entity, right? Well, the, yes, they sort of are. Um, the, 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 the good and the bad is that, um, we're self-sufficient. I mean, other than, other than the capital work, uh, the, you know, the courses, the two golf courses are owned by the city. So by rule, the properties are city property, and that includes the clubhouses, et cetera. So when, when work needs to be done on them, they sort of fall under, um, they fall under city ownership. So when there's improvement work that needs to be done, that will come out of the city's capital fund. But the daily operations of the golf course, uh, and including all of our payrolls, everyone's pay, uh, everything comes out of the, uh, the, the, the revenue that we generate. So we, we, are not, we don't see tax dollars in that regard. Um, we support ourselves. So if there is a, a, a surplus, and we cut the numbers really, really tight. Um, as one of, our, one of our old managers said, it's not necessarily about making money, but it's absolutely not about losing money. Um, so, so we just have to make sure that we have a, you know, whatever, a percentage of cushion in there at the end of the year. Um, so there really isn't a whole lot of money left over for the, 
Parks Department to take from us, and I, I don't think they do anyway. So, um, and yes. and what are green fees at your course? To be honest with you, I haven't looked at them lately, but um, <laughs> I, think during, I think during the I think during the week it's like forty nine bucks to play golf, and then they get you for twenty twenty two bucks for a cart. Uh, but that's you know whether you're riding single or you're riding double, it's twenty two dollars. Um, and then I think the weekends is like sixty five. Uh, 65 bucks. So it's really, um, it's a pretty good value. I mean, it's a very good value. The best value around, frankly, is if you're a member. Uh, if you're a member, I think it's, you know, don't quote me on this one either, I think it's 1400 bucks or around 1400 for city resident and you get both golf courses. Oh man. Uh, seven days without any restrictions. I mean, it's, it's a great deal. Wow. You know, and, and the courses are only about a mile apart. I mean, you can get from one to the other in 10 minutes. That's really interesting. I didn't realize they were that close. For some reason, I thought, so, wow, okay. Yeah, they're pretty close. I mean, they're, they're, they're a little more than that. They're probably a mile and a half apart. But literally, you go down one road, you take a left, and you're in the other golf course. Right. And, and how big is, we should talk about this in, in regards to, to doing restoration work. How big is your crew? Uh, well, you know, it, it depends. Like to start with the year, um, our goal was to have 11 people, like that's 11, uh, you know, 11 seasonal people. That doesn't include myself and my assistant. Okay. Um, but through attrition, through attrition and, you know, et cetera, we're, we, we work, we've worked most of the year now with, with nine people. Um, it's, it's really hard. Uh, if you lose somebody, the the hiring process uh, because you have to go through all kinds of uh, there's all sorts of uh, navigating red tape to get a, to to get a job uh, one of the golf courses uh, to be any kind of a city employee for that matter you have to live in the city of Boston right um, so you have to prove that you're a resident and then you have to have a background a Corey Corey check all sorts of things so it, it it can take somewhere around four weeks from the time a person applies till they actually get hired. Um, so, if, so if you lose staff sometime in June or July, they may not get on the payroll until August or September. Um, so it's really tough to, uh, to, uh, replace people that either leave or, you know, whatever, don't, you know, don't work out. Um, yeah. So we have, we have a staff of about, uh, of nine right now, but I'm going to lose a couple of summer kids. So we'll be down to eight or seven or eight in, in the next couple of weeks. I just I looked up online your your weekday rates are forty five dollars and the cart fee is twenty. Yeah, that sounds right. And your weekend your your weekend fees, if I can get my computer to work, I believe are fifty two or fifty five with the same cart fees. So that's Oh, okay. So it's not as expensive as I thought. <laughs> it's a better deal than, better, than you imagine. Better deal than I thought it was. So so with with regards to with regard to your staff, like say beyond the golf season. So we get some work going in the fall and you have a really nice, long, warm uh, fall that allows you to to do bunker work and, and do some sodding into December. Are you allowed to keep guys on as as long as there's work for them, your seasonal guys? Um, there is some flexibility there. Like if we have a really good fall, like you mentioned, and it seems like every three or four years you get one of those falls or it's 70 degrees right up until the second week of December, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, we have, we have a tremendous amount of leaf cleanup to do. So we have, a, we, we keep at least four or five guys on until the middle of December just to clean leaves. But, um, there is some flexibility there. Um, if we're doing well financially in the fall and there's some extra project work that we would like to, uh, accomplish, we have that conversation towards, you know, we usually have a financial conversation somewhere around the end of September and, uh, you know, Dennis will give us a, sort of a 
forecast, and it's either a good one or a bad one, you know. Um, so then we make adjustments right. accordingly. So if we have to lay guys off early, we do. If we if we can keep them on a little later and knock off a few projects or do some stuff, extra stuff, we do it. So in the last few years, including Franklin Park, what's the biggest project that that you've had, that's that's gone on on a golf course? You know, post as far as restoration or irrigation or anything like that. I think the biggest one we've had in the last few years is um, we sort of rebuilt our entire first hole. Um, hole number one was a real problem. Holes one and two were um, the rock and stump dumps for the construction of the course. It was a really low, a real low swamp area. Um, so they filled it in with, um, with you know, blasted. Uh, it, it actually kind of looks like riprap. It's a you know, angular, broken pieces of jagged granite. Um, and then they covered it with topsoil, but they, they threw stumps and everything else in there. So, so all this, all this stuff is, it, it's settled. And of course, you know, anything that was organic has decayed over the years. So those two holes were actually lower than, it was a massive drain that went through the two holes. It was like this 30 inch piece of, uh, corrugated steel pipe. Uh, I mean, we're talking the W. Yeah, we're talking WPA project. It's like stuff out of the Hoover oh Dam they God. put in this place. I mean, the engineering was just un- unbelievable. You can crawl through the drains at George Rex. <laughs> That's amazing. That's on amazing. these two holes, the fairways had actually sunk in low to lower grade than the drain line, so we were getting no positive drainage into those holes. So the first hole, every time we got an inch of rain, there'd be a, a swan lake in the middle of the fairway for two weeks. So. We we tackled that one. This is probably six years ago, five or six years ago, and we uh, completely stripped almost the entire fairway. We raised it up a couple of feet. We put in uh, God, I, I can't remember the number, but it's got to be uh, a thousand feet at least of drainage tile, and there may be more. Uh, rebuilt, really? Yeah, we rebuilt the two bunkers. Uh, we rebuilt the men's tee. We rebuilt the, uh, the 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 greenside bunker. We added on to the back of the green and sort of tr- uh, rectangularized the green to sort of bring it back to its original rectangular shape. Uh, we did the two tee. We did all the um, all of the tees on hole number two. Added a fairway bunker and a green bunker on hole number two and large number two green. Um, yeah, that was a big project, and we did uh, we did some irrigation upgrades uh, on on those two holes as well. That was about I want to say that was like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Something like that. That was, but it, I mean, it was worth every penny. It, the whole the first hole is one of the best looking golf holes on the golf course now. And 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 you had to do this all this post construction work and all that with this with this really small crew of yours, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We don't. Um, they don't give us any more people if we're doing construction work. So yeah, we we have to kind of grow it in with 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 who we have. Yeah. And I want to also touch on this little piece of history. You became the this year. You became the first public course, which I find is astounding to host the Massachusetts Am. Yeah, that's right. And I I actually didn't know that either, Tony. Uh, that's, that was. Um, an interesting piece of information, but yeah, I mean, 110 years they've had the Mass Amateur, um, dating back to the 1890s, and uh, it was never on a public golf course before. It was always in a private club. Um, so, but we've had a very good relationship with um, what's now Mass Golf. Um, right. Over the past five or six years, they have hosted a mini amateur at George Wright. I want to say in 2013, might be 14 okay. either. I'm, I'm I'm getting old, and I can't. Remember. The years are running into each other, but it's either 2013. <laughs> 2013 or 14, um, and 
it went really well. And, you know, there's a lot of golfers from Massachusetts that have come, I mean, public and private alike, that, you know, the, the last thing they would ever think about is going into the middle of the city of Boston, one of the, you know, urban neighborhoods and playing at Donald Ross Golf Course. And right. just the reviews we, we got of the course were fabulous. They absolutely loved it. Um, and so we've had a really positive relationship with Mass Golf since then. And then they started kicking around the idea a couple of years later about having, uh, you know, the, the Mass Amateur and the, and the Women's Amateur. We had we hosted the Women's Amateur t- about two weeks after the Mass Amateur this year. So which which is um, amazing. You did a, you did a you did a Men's Am and a Women's Am in consecutive weeks. Uh, I mean, not consecutive weeks, but but in close proximity to each other. Right. And I I don't think I I don't know if the Men's Am I know the Men's Am had never been on a public golf course. I don't know about the Women's, but that's that's quite a feat again to pull off with a with a small staff. Although you did have some some. Uh, the the reinforcements came in for the men's end. You had four, yes, they did. 14 I, guys come in to help you out. Yes, exactly, and they did. And, you know, the logistics of hosting that golf tournament was there's so many people playing in it, and, you know, the time they go off in the morning, uh, and they're going with the first tee and the 10th tee, and I'm looking at this going, how am I going to do this with 10 guys, you know, or nine guys? Um, <laughs> you know, you're going to split your crew in half. And right, right. You can be there at right. the crack of dawn at 5 o'clock. You still don't have enough time to get everything done. So, uh, fortunately, I've been doing this for long enough, and I've, I guess, I've made enough friends <laughs> uh, that. <Yeah. laughs> and 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 I got to tell you, they, I mean, our crew busted their tails. Uh, the the eight guys that I've got, you know, I never would have been able to do this without the fourteen guys to help us out. They, they really, um, I can't say enough about them. And they, they, I mean, I was there at. I'm there at like 10 minutes of four and half of them had beat me to the golf course. And I'm like, some of them live in Lemonster and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Now I was like, what time do you get up at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> yeah. and, where, I mean, they, they, and they came through, they really did. They came through and I, 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 uh, I couldn't be happier, but the trickier part was, was the ladies golf tournament because we didn't get the, um, we didn't get the volunteers. Uh, so we had to do that with our guys. And, uh, uh, that was a lot more difficult. It's just, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of work that needs to be done, and the the math just doesn't add up. You know what I mean? At least they used, but they so, only went off one so, tee for that event, right? For the women, they did, yeah. So I that mean, helped in, a bit, in, right? In that sense, it was a it helped a lot. Yeah, yep. it really did. If they were going to go off the two tees, we'd never been able to do that either. So, um, so we were really fortunate uh, that that they did. You know, there was some carryover in the condition of the course. We had basically mowed the place to death for you know, for two weeks. So, um, you know, the grooming of the golf course for the ladies golf tournament wasn't as hard as it was right. prepping for the men's. And coming in for the men's tournament, I mean, that was an awful week. That was one of those weeks with over 90 degrees and, and high humidity, right? It was. It was terrible. Uh, we, we had originally planned on starting to double mow and groom greens the fully the week before uh, the men's golf tournament. And it was just, it was so humid and so hot. Uh, I just, you know, and I knew we were going to have a really busy Saturday and Sunday before the men's golf tournament. Um, so, you know, eh, double mowing, grooming greens, and then you're going to have uh, 250 golfers two days in a row. going to be really hard to get on them and syringe hot spots. And it just, so we didn't do that. We just waited. We waited. And fortunately, it, the weather broke uh, the Sunday before the men's tournament started and the first round of the men's tournament was at Franklin park. So we double mowed greens on Monday and the golf course was closed and we basically mowed the whole golf course, but we were able to start our double mowing and triple mowing 
to get the greens up to speed. It took us until about Wednesday to get any reasonable speed out of the greens. They were rolling about probably ten and a half by Wednesday, and then by Friday they were, you know, Thursday, Friday they were rolling probably eleven and a half, and they were good. So just took us a little longer to get there. That's all. Yeah, but like you, you know, we talked about uh, before that you you had to protect those greens for the because of the the awful conditions the week before. Yeah, you you really do, and and I mean, and we're running into that now where. You know, that, that three-week span for between the men's tournament and then the week after and then the ladies' golf tournament, we had, a, we had the men's club championship in between. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, really, uh, we really stress the golf course out a lot. Right. And uh, we haven't had any, as you know, we haven't had any recovery, whether this weather has been absolutely god-awful. Right. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we've got some spots on greens that just really didn't uh, – yeah, they can bounce back a whole lot, and uh, you know that's that's what that's what God created airification for, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, and so, being built on ledge and all of that stuff, I mean, you must have some serious hot spots on your on your fairways and yeah. things, right? We do, yeah, yeah. Between that and we have a lot of poa annual in our fairways. We've, um, you know, in the process of of, of renovating the golf course. Uh, we've, I mean, we, when we, when we started doing this, like they, the fairways had never been airified before, you know, ever. So like when we were putting airifiers on the fairways, we were pulling thatch cores out that were two and a half inches deep. You weren't, you weren't getting to topsoil. Um, but we, they, it had never been airified before you got there. The fairways had never been airified as far as I know. It's in the Holy cow. No, no. Okay. So, so part of that process was punching a bunch of holes and getting grass to spread into areas that it wasn't in. So there's a lot of the original um, original grasses on the fairways, the original colonial fences, a lot of them. But there's also a lot of pollen infestation, and we really haven't done any fairway restoration program, if you will, where we've really, you know, like aggressively aerified fairways and slice seeded them and all that, and try to try to change the grasses over. We just we don't have the time. And we certainly don't have the manpower in the house to do it, but it really becomes it really becomes hard when you get as much play as we do. So, so areas on on fairways, you've got like you mentioned ledge, and then you've got all these poa areas that just get obliterated by summer patch and a few other things when you have a bad summer, and that's and that's really kind of what we're going through now. So, no, we're, we're pretty banged up, but um, you know, it, it it'll all come back. I mean, we'll we'll get it all back in the fall, and we'll start it all over again next year. But, you know, the work is – I don't want to end on a down note because everybody I've ever talked to who's played this golf course in the last 10 years or so or five years is just – and as the competitors did for both the, the, the Mass Ams, they absolutely love this golf course. So you're doing a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. No, no don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just uh, – what I am is I'm, I'm probably my own worst critic. And we're having, you know, we're having this discussion in the middle of August in probably the worst weather year I've ever worked in in my life. So everything's relative, I guess, you know. Um, and we've never, ever had a problem of, uh, you know, getting turf to come back and in, in all the areas that, uh, that get a little banged up, but that's sort of the character of George, right? And it doesn't matter really what year it is. We have three or four or five fairways that, uh, you know, we've got ledge that are two inches from the surface of the turf and the rock heats up and then they go brown and all that. And right. it, it is what it is, you know, there's, that's just part of the characteristic of the golf course. So, um, you, you know, you deal with it. And it, somebody's been dealing with it since 1938, right? Of course, exactly. And, and yeah. you know, some of the neat stuff that we found, like we found some aerial photos from the late 30s. And you can see where they, uh, you know, where the stone wall is going around the golf course. And 
the, the clubhouse is sitting on top of a hill. It looked, and there were no trees around it. It looked, it would remind you of the clubhouse at, um, at Newport Country Club, like sitting up on a hill and just oh, no kidding. wispy grass around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there was just these rock ledge areas that were all covered with fescue and stuff. And you can see the stone wall, like, right from the aerial photos. And it's laser straight. I mean, you swear it was, it's amazing, really. Um, right. You know, the, the, work, the workmanship that went into to building the golf course is just outstanding. And, uh, you know, I'm very, I consider myself very lucky to be part of it. That's cool, and and I'm I'm really hoping that some point this fall, because I live about an hour and a half from you, I can make the ride up. And uh, some friends and I have talked about taking a trip out and possibly playing both golf courses in one day. Oh, you should. I mean, uh, you, you'll uh, you know what? And they couldn't be different. They couldn't be more different. Franklin Park is kind of up on a knoll. It's an inland links golf course. There's very few trees. Uh, you can see, like from the clubhouse, three quarters of the course, and it's these rolling hills and few grasses. Really neat, uh, just a neat course. And then George Wright is like carved out of, uh, you know, out of the wilderness. And if you were standing at George, yeah. <laughs> honest to God, if you stand at George Wright in the middle of George Wright, yeah, that's you would really never funny. ever yeah. know you were in the city of Boston. You would have no clue. It's all right. giant mature oak trees. I played George Wright about thirty. I played, yeah, I played it about thirty years ago. So I don't know it in its current, you know, its current state. But even then, you just didn't. If you asked somebody, if you took a photo and said, "Where are you?" Nobody would believe you're essentially in downtown exactly. Boston. Yeah, and you are, and you are, and you're only a twenty a twenty minute ride. Right, you get to get on the commuter rail, and you're fifteen twenty minutes into downtown. It really is. It's a it's a quiet. Well, it's not it's sort of a hidden gem anymore because a lot of people found out about it. It's yeah, it's a it's a really neat place and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of a history guy. I like old cars. Uh, I like old houses. I like old stuff. And uh, this is, you know, in terms of golf, couldn't be a better place for me. Fantastic. Well, I've been talking to uh, Len Curtin, the golf course superintendent at George Wright Golf Course in Boston, Massachusetts. And thanks for joining me, Len. It was, it was a very insightful and I hope for our listeners, entertaining uh, half hour or so. Tony, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, You've been listening to the Renovation Report on TurfNet Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.